I'm Bert Cohen, and standing together, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. America's fascists are those people who think Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand, has much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Every war has many fronts, many sites of battle are involved in the goal of hoped-for final victory against the enemy. 9-11 sparked forever wars in many locations, Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, and even Niger. And the enemy to be defeated? Well, that's far from clear. The Taliban, al-Shabaab, al-Qaeda, ISIS, al-Zarqawi all gathered under one rather leaky umbrella known as a war against terrorism. How convenient for an enemy to be ill-defined. Well, how does the world see America's forever wars? Many historians would see these as actually wars for American domination of the world. Domination. Yes, we've heard that word a lot lately. Now we see our president who recently used that word to talk about domestic policy, dominating the streets. He called for the military to dominate and control Main Street USA. Have we become a war front now? In the wake of the police murder of George Floyd, helicopters have flown very low over protesters. They were performing a show of force, a standard tactic used by military aircraft in combat zones to scatter insurgents. Could it all be part of the same war? The president says he he wants to fold domestic police into our military force. In an infamous op-ed, Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton urged sending in the 101st Airborne Division to dominate and control the streets of America. Our guest today is retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel and History Professor William Astori, who is not surprised at this turn. He sees fully militarizing the domestic police as a logical step in the precipitous path we've been on for quite a while. And as victory in the worldwide wars remains ever elusive, so too the likelihood of successful, in Trump words, domination is as highly unrealistic as it is undesirable. Bill Astori, thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Uh, thank you, Bert, for having me. Uh, your introduction reminded me that that the military, our, our military, speaks of full spectrum dominance, and of course, we've been applying that full spectrum dominance overseas, and unfortunately, now it's come home to Main Street, USA. Yeah, who'd have thunk it? I'll tell you. Well, it, 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 uh, our guest's uh, new essay on Tom Dispatch is titled "Light 'Em Up: Warrior Cops." are the law and above the law as violence grips America. He makes the historic observation that America's cops have now officially joined the military as professional warriors. And when the military used to violently clear, was used to violently clear a path through Lafayette Park for the president to stand in front of that church to hold the Bible, according to a report in the New York Times, army leaders told pilots to flood the box with everything we have as two helicopters buzzed protesters in the streets. The purpose of America's military has always been to protect 
the ability of Americans to live at peace and have security at home. Uh, Colonel Astoria, your piece paints a rather shocking picture of people in Minneapolis on their peaceful front porches as a cordon of police swept down their street. Please tell us what happened. Well, what happened is uh, you know, police were not happy uh, being filmed by cell phone cameras, so uh, they told people to get inside their houses, which exceeded their authority, actually, because uh, they, you know, the police were supposed to clear the street but not tell people to get off their porches. And so when people weren't, you know, some people were like, hey, this is my front porch. I'm not getting off my front porch. And then the police opened fire on them with those, you know, non, what they call non-lethal munitions, like, uh, like paint canisters in this case. But as we see from all these protests, you know, these non-lethal munitions are often, uh, often very dangerous. Uh, a photojournalist lost an eye from a rubber bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I read another account of a of a young woman. I think she was 22 years old who who had asthma, uh, and she died from uh, from an attack, you know, due to the uh, tear gas. Right. So so we're we're seeing more and more of these violent scenes, and and as you said, Bert, uh, this is something that that we sort of uh, almost put out of our minds when it happens overseas. Right. I, I think I think many Americans are in great shock now to see that those foreign wars have now come home to our streets. Boy, it, it's amazing. Now, the title of your essay in Tom Dispatch is Light em Up. That's quite chilling. What, where did that come from? What does that mean, Light em Up? Yeah, Light em Up is, is basically you know, open fire. Uh, light em Up, open fire, uh, indiscriminately uh, often. It, it's the kind of command that you would hear on, you know, in a battle zone in the streets of... Uh, oh uh, of uh, Baghdad or Fallujah uh, or a village in Afghanistan. And, and obviously, uh, the American people are not supposed to be the enemy, uh, especially, when, especially when Americans are just getting out in the street and exercising fundamental constitutional rights. I, I kind of thought, you know, <laughs> maybe this is incredibly naive, but that, you know, the military was there to defend us, to defend our right to be citizens, and part of being a citizen is speaking out and having that freedom. And so this is a remarkable turn in the uh, 21st century. From the New York Times, there was an article that said, with regard to these incidents, some states with Republican governors quickly jumped in, Tennessee, South Carolina, Utah, West Virginia's National Guard sent a reconnaissance plane, typically used for border security, to, dr- to spot drug smugglers, along with the troops, National Guard units from other states brought weapons and ammunition. Tens of thousands of rifle and and pistol rounds were stored in the D.C. Armory and partitioned in pallets labeled by their state of origin to be used on American citizens in case of emergency. I never thought I'd read such words, I must say. If our police have indeed become warriors, as the president so loves, who's the enemy? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and un- unfortunately, the the enemy is is oftentimes now uh, peaceful protesters who are who are looking for, you know, fundamental changes. Uh, and that's a scary thing because, uh, you know, obviously that is contrary to uh, our oath of office. You know, as a military person, uh, I took my oath of office, you know, several times actually. You know, when I first joined the military, uh, and each time I was promoted. Uh, I had to retake the oath of office, mm. and, and it's something that you memorize. Uh, I can still, 
uh, state my oath of office. And but what it's all about is is supporting and defending, you know, the Constitution of the United States uh, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Right. Uh, and a domestic enemy is is not uh, Americans exercising their right to assemble and their right to freedom of speech. Uh, and fortunately, we've seen a lot of military people come out. Uh, and as you know, uh, a lot of military officers have uh, spoken out yes. against uh, using troops in the street, you know, thankfully, uh, because that's not what our military is for. But uh, unfortunately, you know, as I, as I mentioned in my article, uh, nowadays the police have become a militarized force. And, and we've been seeing this over the last uh, two decades or yes. so, where, you know, police have been getting more and more uh, military weaponry. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Humvees, uh, MRAPs, you know, uh, which are basically miniature tanks that they, that they used in, uh, in, in Iraq in which were then repurposed uh, for police forces and with the mindsets to match. Hmm. So, so now you have cops take to the streets. You know, they're, 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 they're outfitted with, with all kinds of riot gear, shields, helmets, flak vests, the, the whole nine yards, hmm. uh, with the attitudes to match. You know, they, they, no, they, they no longer think of themselves as, as a street cop out there to help you. Uh, they, they much more think of themselves as, as a warrior out there to eliminate the enemy. Wow. Yeah, good old officer friendly. You know, there are, it's, you know, since I noticed, you know, in the wake of 9-11, the Department of Homeland Security was created right then. And right away, that sounded ominous to me. It just sounded a little bit uh, Prussian, perhaps. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and, and it seems like there's this new call to defund the police. I don't think that means, you know, just to eliminate them, but the all the new toys that these uh, these people get from the surplus from Homeland Security, it's, uh, you know, maybe, you know, people, I think, I do think municipal officials and others have been intimidated. They can't say no to increasing the budget for the police over and That's over right. and over again. That's right. And, you know, in the immediate wake of the police murder of George Floyd, which, you know, millions of people saw this murder happening, you know, actually seeing it, uh, I think that made a huge, huge difference. And uh, these things go on lots and lots of times, and everybody knows that. But in the, in the, in the wake of that, the nightly news led with scenes of rioting and looting, predictably raising racist fear and demands for law and order. And, and you know, this looting and burning and stuff, to me, that's a separate issue. I think people are taking advantage of being out there on the streets and not having the police around. But you write, cops are to blame for much of this mayhem. I wonder if you could explain that, Bill, please. Well, well uh, we've seen it. You know, we, we've seen the videos, uh, whether it be the video of, uh, you know, George Floyd, uh, being, you know, choked out in the street, you know, take, you know, with that officer pressing his knee on his neck, and you know, poor George Floyd crying out to his mother uh, before he died. But you know, with with the protests, we, you know, we've seen so many uh, people being assaulted, uh, and and certainly the 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 now infamous case that you already mentioned was 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 uh, President Trump's uh, photo op where he posed with the Bible. Mm. 
uh, that he initially held upside down, by the way. Yes. Um, and and uh, which is appropriate. But um, you know, it, basically, you had peaceful protesters, including the you know Episcopal clergy, yes. uh, who were gassed uh, and shoved out of the way uh, to make way for you know Trump's triumphant march, uh, mm-hmm. where he where he displayed the Bible. So this is what we're seeing. We're saying we're seeing police use far too much force. Uh, so you have protesters who are protesting, of course, against police violence, and the police are responding with more violence, <laughs> uh, which is just escalating the situation. Uh, uh, and of course, you, uh, another infamous case now is the you know 75-year-old right. uh, protester in Buffalo uh, who was shoved down, and and police just callous callously walked past him as he was bleeding from his ears. Oh uh, so, so this is something that, uh, uh, that obviously needs to stop. And, and I think defunding the police is, is, is a big step in the right direction. But the problem is, of course, is people here yeah. defund, right. and they think, oh, my God, they're going to take all the money from the police, and we're going to have uh, anarchy in the streets. Yes. And that's not it at all. It's, right. it's defunding means reprioritizing uh-huh. spending, so that so that we have more funding on on you know education, more funding on on uh, on mental health abuse. services, oh, yeah. substance abuse, all the rest. Because let's face it, we actually we actually have we we tell our police or we ask our police to do too much yes. uh, in the sense of. You know, the police are asked to respond to, you know, domestic disputes or mental health crises. Uh, and, you know, police go in there with, with guns and the attitude to match. But what you really need is, a, is an expert in, in mental health, for example, to, you know, I have a, you know, my, I have a brother who's uh, mentally ill. He's schizophrenic, and he lives in a, in a halfway house. And he lives, he lives there with other people who are mentally mm-hmm. ill. Uh, and, and when, when he has a, a, a crisis uh, or he, has, he needs help, he needs the help of a trained social worker. The last thing I would want is you know, a SWAT team to show up yeah. where, where you have people who obviously have mental trouble. So, so we need to reprioritize yeah. uh, how, we, how we look at uh, and how we treat these kinds of crises, and and defunding the police is is something we need to do. Yeah, it's a it's a phrase that does scare a lot of people, but it's about uh, public safety, really. You know, if we could repurpose that to public safety, and uh, actually, I well, there's a lot to talk about with regard to police. You know, they don't get paid very well, quite frankly. You know, and if if the the, the pay were a little bit maybe perhaps a lot higher when we could have more professional people and then repurpose the money for other things. I want to ask uh, 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 Colonel uh, a story. What's your military background? I didn't even really get that in. All right. Uh, well, uh, I, uh, uh, I served for 20 years uh, in the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force. Uh-huh. Uh, and I started out actually as, a, as an engineer, uh, uh, and then I, uh, I moved more into the field of history ah. and I, I did some time, uh, in, in the air force and engineering jobs, but I also taught history at the air force Academy, oh. uh, for six years, actually at uh, two different tours. And then my last assignment before I retired in 2005 
I was to I was at the Defense Language Institute Foreign Language Center in Monterey, California, mm-hmm. and that was an interesting assignment because we were actually training, you know, young troops to learn languages like Arabic, uh, uh, you know, as sure. they deployed in in uh, Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom. Uh, which didn't end up, unfortunately, with much freedom. No, it so. <laughs> oh yeah, well we, you know, it's it's appreciated, and we certainly need a military. And uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive. We're talking about keeping democracy alive in the face of uh, a little bit excessive police force uh, making our peace officers into warriors against us. Our guest today is uh, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel and history professor William Astori. And, you know, our president, not to diss him, but okay, I'll diss him. He's a remarkably simple man. He displays his love for the police at any opportunity. And he desperately wanted a military parade in the mold of police state dictators around the world. He's been so jealous of them. It's a curious desire for an adult American president. Of course, he never got his parade. But you say maybe now he doesn't need one. Why would that be? Yeah, well, we see the we we see the parade right now, except it's a violent one. You know, we see mil, we see police vehicles in the street, uh, and in many cases, you know, militarized vehicles. We see we see riot police, you know, forming up in, you know, rank and file and then giving orders like, you know, forward march and and basically knocking over anyone in their way. Wow. Uh, it's not exactly the kind of uh, maybe, you know, military parade that uh, that Trump had in mind. But, but you know, uh, this is exactly why, historically speaking, we don't have military parades like, like the former Soviet Union or China or some other uh, North Korea, or some other authoritarian country, because you know military parades are the symbol of a tyrant. They, that's that's tyranny. That's a, that's authoritarianism. Uh, the fact that you know Trump wanted a a military parade uh, and was eventually you know steered away from that is yet you know it's just yet another sign of 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 Trump's. Uh, you know, wannabe authoritarianism. Mm. You know, he really is kind of a wannabe oh, yeah. a dictator. He, in, in a way, he's a remarkably weak man. Uh, you know, the people who's, who surround him, he surrounds himself with toadies yes. and, and sycophants uh, and, and ass-kissers, uh, and that's what a weak person does. Yeah. You know, somebody, somebody who, who can't tolerate anyone uh, disagreeing with them. You know, somebody who always needs someone around them saying, yes, yes, President Trump, good idea, President Trump. You know, we see that with Mike Pence, the vice president. You know, it's like whenever Mike Pence speaks, it's like every other word is, you know, as the president said, and as our our great leader said, as the president said, you know, Mike Pence is like the perfect toady uh, from central casting. Uh, And it's just that that's that's the kind of person that that Trump wants around him. You know, and I can't think of other presidents i've been around on this planet for quite a while and they don't <laughs> they don't need to to keep saying strong dominate control you know it's and actually listen to other people listen to advice what a concept you know and i mentioned the word adult what about this recent pervasive need for heroes in uniform we've seen it dominating sporting events like Never before. What about the 
steady and relentless push for militarized heroes. I mean, to me, a hero is kind of a rare thing. What in your mind, who in your mind deserves the status of hero? What is, uh, yes, what is... for, yes, that's a great question. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that we finally saw a shift away from, from the military being universal heroes uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, you started seeing, fortunately, you started seeing accounts where you, where our, our our doctors, our nurses, and, and and other medical personnel, as well as EMTs, and and, and you know, would say those are our heroes, and and not just them. You know, what what about what about the person working in the grocery store, maybe making minimum wage? But working in the grocery store, with you know, at, at some risk to themselves, you you began to see people, uh, or at least our media, you know, our media drives the narrative to a certain extent. You finally began to see the idea that ordinary people could be heroes again, and they they didn't have to wear a military uniform or a police uniform, and and that was a that was a welcome sign in the right direction. Mm. But it took a but it took a pandemic to do it. Wow. Yeah, interesting. I mean, and you're right. I mean, it's 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 heartening to see that uh, you know so many people are recognizing that uh, the people they depend on at the grocery store, delivering mail, et cetera, et cetera, the uh, the deep state, <laughs> as Trump would call them, the people who are just doing their jobs to serve the public. They're, they're, some of them, I mean, they're taking great risks to go in with this COVID nineteen. Now, you taught. History. I love history. I always find it interesting how the clear lessons of history are not just ignored, but oftentimes turned on their head. For example, the history of the labor movement to make lives better for working people, the struggle for a cleaner environment, hippies and other anti-war liberals during our tragic war in Vietnam, of course, the African-Americans who have dared to speak out for their equal rights as citizens. I very recently watched a documentary on police and Black Panthers in the late 60s and early 70s. Now we see not just the murder of George Floyd, but so many other smartphone videos are showing up. And no doubt there are thousands of other murders at the hands of police who got away with the crime. Nixon's reelection on the use of fear and the resulting call for law and order, you know, after this, uh, the, the late 60s, I wonder if that may have been a template for what's going on today. Might that have been a precursor, a flicker of a war fought domestically? Yeah, I, I think. I, well, I think we see these kind of of police crackdowns, you know, periodically throughout American history, uh, and it's usually in the sense of 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 keeping, you know, it's keeping workers in their place, uh, and also. Uh, suppressing any kind of meaningful change to the power dynamic, uh, and so as 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 you went through the list, you know we see this you know suppression of of unions, the suppression of the the civil rights movement. Uh, we we see you know anti-war protesters during the Vietnam era mm-hmm. uh, getting their their heads bashed in. We had we had the infamous. You know, police riot in Chicago mm-hmm. outside of the Democratic National Convention mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in 1968. So, you know, and and usually the response to to protests uh, or you know to protests that are, you know, protests that are 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 that are important and vital 
mm-hmm. and, and protect, again, protected by the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Unfortunately, the response to, to those by authoritarian types uh, is, to, is to bash heads. Uh, and, and, they, and, and they excuse that behavior by saying, well, you know, we're, we're enforcing law and order. Uh, but you always have to stop and say, whose law and whose order? Mm. You know, what, mm. not, you know, it's like, now, wait a minute here. Uh, you know, whose law is, is being upheld? Uh, and, and if you have to break the law, as, as many, as, as unfortunately, as we've been seeing, as you said, from all these smartphone videos, you know, at police actually breaking the law, yeah. uh, using violence, you know, knocking people down, um, uh, wounding people, and in a couple cases, uh, you know, people yeah. losing their life in these yeah, protests. Yeah. You know, breaking the law is not the way that you uphold the law. And and the, the one I think can never underestimate uh, the power or overestimate, I should say, the power of fear, manipulating fear. It worked for Nixon. People didn't understand what was going on in the streets, and he talked about law and order, and of course, it helped him tremendously get reelected. I think Trump is, is is trying to do kind of the same thing, but there's such a, a pushback from people in the military. I can't remember the name of that uh, that gentleman in the uh, military who was dragged along for that Bible uh, uh, showing thing. He says, ooh, I shouldn't Oh, have I think that's that's General Milley, right? Yes, Martin General Milley, Milley, I think. Yeah, good Yeah, he you. actually came out and apologized. I know. Uh, of course, he, sh- he should have never put himself in that well, position to begin with. But you know, as a as a four star general, you would think that that he'd be smarter than that. But but at least but at least he issued an apology. I know, and I I think that you know it, it's a question back you know in '68 people, I think most people the uh, middle America as they call them, fell into the fear and the law and order. I think there may be a change. I don't know. History moves very very slowly. That's for sure, as I'm sure you would agree. Uh, well, you, go ahead. no, the other the other part of it, uh, uh, Bird, is that. When you said to talk about somebody like Trump, you know, talking about law and order, yeah. when when he is, you know, arguably the most lawless president <laughs> we've ever had, and he's also the president of chaos. <laughs> he, he 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 loves chaos. So so the idea of uh, the idea of Trump pushing law and order should should create you know cognitive dissonance <laughs> in the mind of of anyone. You would think. Oh my goodness, uh, you know, and throughout America's. Long history of endless wars. Who, who, who? It's never been clear who the enemy is. In what ways is the transformation of America's streets a sign that, as you say, America's violent overseas wars, thriving for almost two decades despite their emptiness, their lack of meaning, have finally and truly come home? Who, who is the enemy? Do, I mean, I guess Trump thinks probably everybody. But your reaction to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the problem, right? Uh, the the problem is is that there are certain people always looking for enemies, uh, and I think you know, not 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 to harp on Trump, but yeah, Trump's the perfect example. He speaks of the, the media, any right. media coverage that he doesn't like, like CNN, for example. He says Anything. they're the enemy of the people, yes. and we see we see the power of that rhetoric in the way the police have responded and attacked the media in the street. There's, there's plenty of video footage out there of, of police officers turning their 
their their rubber bullets and their paint guns and all the rest uh, on on the media. And you have media people. In fact, uh, I'm sure some of your listeners will will recall there was a there was a black reporter for CNN who was arrested right on the air. Uh, apparently, his crime was reporting while black. Yes. <laughs> so so I mean that's the problem. If you're looking for an enemy, you will always find one. Uh, and and that's something that that we in this country have been doing, you know, ever since World War II, uh, uh, which I think, you know, World War II, we had legitimate enemies. Yes. I, I, I think, you know, World War II was a war that, that had to be fought. Yes. You know, I, 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 I taught a course on the, on the Holocaust on a couple of different occasions. Yeah. You know, w- World War II was, was a war that, in which the, you know, the, the Nazis, the Imperial Japanese Army, and all of the atrocities that they committed, that was a war that had to be yes. fought. But yes. when you look at America's wars since then, uh, you know, many of those wars, uh, which were simply wars that were fought for, for resources, for, for imperialism, yeah. uh, oil. usually oil, yeah. but not, you know, so... And just p- painting everything in the Cold War uh, picture, you know, was, I mean, Africa, Vietnam, obviously, you know, Vietnam, pe- people in Vietnam, they won the war against the French. They won their independence. Should have ended right, right then and there, in my opinion. But that's sort, yeah. of, sort of another story. Now, you ha- you have a family history in the military, Colonel Astoria. You write, I know these people because they're my people. I'd say most are decent people, end of quote. But you notice something happens when they get dressed in combat gear, tell us about that, please. Well, I think I think Bert, uh, if if uh, if you have like one or two police officers in in normal clothing uh, responding or responding to the seventy five year old uh, protest from Buffalo, right? Uh, you know, I I think that scene doesn't happen where where he gets pushed down, they walk callously past him as he bleeds from his ears. Uh, when you see the video footage of what happened. Uh, you see a whole bunch of cops lined up in their riot gear, uh, and you actually see, you actually hear a police officer shout out a command. You know, it's like forward march. Yeah. So you, you have a whole bunch of police uh, in a special unit. You know, there's, I think there was roughly 60 police all dressed up in riot gear uh, in, in a military formation and military gear. Well, they start acting like stormtroopers. Mm. Uh, because because they're dressed that way, they're being commanded that way. Uh, they're now separate from the people. It, it's no longer officer friendly. Now, I, I, you know, I, I have I have my own blog, Bracing Views, and one of my one of my readers reminded me of a show I used to watch uh, in the early 1970s called Adam Twelve. You know, it was a cop show, uh, and I was a kid. I was you had you had two officers. Um, in, in a patrol car, dressed in ordinary police uniforms, uh, probably armed with you know 38 revolvers, uh, and they would respond to uh, you know various uh, you know crimes or whatever uh, situations, and you know without all this military gear uh, and using for the most part negotiation uh-huh. uh, as a way of 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 um yeah getting it under control yeah right. exactly yeah. de-escalating de-escalating um, but what, what what we see what we see is escalation from the police we instead of instead of de-escalation we see escalation 
And in some cases, we actually see the police uh, inciting violence uh, rather than diffusing it. Uh, and this is something that obviously uh, needs to stop. And, and this is why you're hearing people say uh, things like that we need to reprioritize spending. You know, we're, we're spending over $100 billion across the country on police. Like, I was staggered to learn that the police budget in Los Angeles is, al- is almost $2 billion a year. Just for L.A.? Uh, wow. Uh, just for L.A. And, and, and then you, Oof. you know, that's, that some cities spend, like Oakland, I think I heard, something like 40, 41% of their municipal budget goes for the police. Wow. So, I mean, this is, this is you know, uh, when, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, I've used this before. It's a, kind of almost a cliche, but there's truth to it. When it went when the when the main tool that you have is a hammer, right. everything everything begins to look like a nail. Yes, uh, and so you know we saw this with you know, we 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 spend almost a trillion dollars a year on on the U.S. military. We spend over a hundred billion dollars a year on various police forces that are now increasingly militarized. Uh, when you when you spend that much money, uh, you just you just use that weaponry. You use that tool at your at, at your disposal. The other thing I want to say before I forget is that, unfortunately, you know, U.S. foreign policy is is uh, is almost in, in many ways uh, driven by weapon sales. So you know, mm. we, we you know, we want to sell the F-35 fighter, we want to sell Patriot missiles, we want to sell all these weapons to various countries. We see that here also in the United States. You mentioned mm. the Department of Homeland Security. Right. Well, you know. I didn't write this article at Tom Dispatch, but there's been a couple of good articles written at Tom Dispatch about how you have a domestic weapons sales. You have domestic weaponry where, you know, they have these huge conventions where you can go and see all of the new weapons being developed for Homeland Security, whether it be, you know, non-lethal munitions or, or sensors or drones, robots, whatever. This is a multi, multi-billion dollar industry uh, that has sold all of this gear to our police forces across the country. And then you just knew, unfortunately, you just knew that all of this weaponry, all of this gear was not just going to sit in a warehouse, mm. that eventually it was going to be used. And that's what we're seeing now. Wow. Yeah, interesting. You can see that in the you know, in Saudi Arabia, they buy a lot of our stuff. Yemen has no money. So which side are we on? I think yeah. the wrong side, yeah. quite frankly. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about uh, what's going on with the uh, uh, making war on America, the militarization of the streets of America. Our guest today is uh, Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Historian William Astori. And, yeah, the, the, the foreign policy stuff and, you know, coming back home to root. You note that militarization of American culture and society exploded after the 9-11 attacks. Bush and Cheney's goal was to, in your words, remake the world as an American possession. I was reading your article at the very same time when I heard Trump emphasize the word dominate regarding American streets. What about that? dominating the world, American possession, and dominating the streets. And this, you know, as, as you said, you know, it doesn't take a strong man. Uh, it, it takes a weak person to need to dominate. But, but your, your thoughts on, on the use of the word dominate and 
you know, after 9-11, trying to remake the world as an American position. Yeah, 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 I hate, you know, I hate that word, dominate. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, as, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, the military has talked about full-spectrum dominance for at, at least the last couple of, of decades, by which, by which they mean that, you know, the only way America can truly have security in their minds is to dominate everything. Uh, which means, you know, ground warfare, air warfare, the sea, uh, even space. You know, now we have a space force you know, <laughs> created created by Trump, in, basically with the mission of of dominance in space. So uh, it, it's it's a it's a twisted it's a twisted version of of security. This idea, in fact, you know, uh, if you if you have to dominate people to to be secure. Uh, you know, I, I would say that that uh, that that basically you're, you know, it's it's the it's the, it's the security of barbed wire and 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 walls, hmm. and it's a, and it's and it's driven by fear, and it's totally contrary to to democracy. It's it's totally contrary to the to the exercise of 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 the freedoms that that we should all collectively hold dear, and it's perfectly consistent. With what we were talking about before, with all of this emphasis on weaponry, right? Because if you're going to dominate, well, that means you have to have, you know, the the biggest, baddest, mm -hmm. you know, guns and, and all the rest. And you know, when I think about the whole feminist movement since, uh, well, since they got the vote, uh, it's about not being dominated. Their freedom, you know, in in uh, domestic abuse, one. It's usually the male feels like he needs to dominate and control the other. That's not freedom. That is not freedom. And you know, it's not going to work. It, it 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 just doesn't work. To as you say, you know, having to dominate. Where's we're supposed to be citizens here? You know, the rule of law. Ah, what's that? What's the rule of law? The rule of law is you know the well, same law yeah. for everybody. Go ahead. Well, when you know, when you stop and think about it. Uh, we're supposed to be extolling the idea of 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 liberty and inequality. Yes. Uh, and the whole idea of equality suggests that that one no one person or no one group of people should be dominant. That's that's simply to put it simply is hmm. it's not equality. Well, there are a lot of people who, let's face it, with the you know call for Trump to build the wall. You know, white males, white heterosexual males want to dominate. And there's a lot of upset that, you know, the, the white people are not the majority or soon will not be the majority anymore. And there's a lot of fear and need to control the others, the others who are not, you know, white. And uh, it's just it's a long history. But uh, there's this tension has been going on for a very, very long time between, you know, justice for everyone equal justice under the law and the need to dominate so here we you know it's i think it's a very interesting point in our history you know and george floyd has has brought it out he's brought it out uh, unfortunately or maybe fortunately because i see a, the, the, you know that the newspapers are reporting that people are they're they're seeing police tactics a bit much more and more people are so it's a minority fighting for their ability to dominate we've seen that before 
in an attempt to distinguish police and the military from the average citizen. You write that, quote, we warriors and former warriors became, in a sense, foreign to democracy and ever more divorced from the citizenry. We came to form foreign legions, whether overseas or now here. What do you mean by that, Bill? Yeah, I, I'm a strong believer in, in the whole ideal of, of the citizen soldier. The citizen soldier, as represented by, by, by people like uh, you know, George C. Marshall or, or, uh, or Dwight D. Eisenhower, and this is the ideal that actually won us World War II. Yes. Uh, that, that, uh, and it's, it's also something, uh, as an aside, you, know, you, you, saw a, you saw a true national mobilization during World War II. Sure did. Uh, where where even, even the most privileged people, like uh, you know, famously uh, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Jimmy Stewart joined, uh, joined the uh, Army uh, Air Force yes. and flew combat missions over, over Germany. Uh, and uh, risked his life. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things you know, a lot of people don't realize that that um, that you know, prominent actors, celebrities, sports figures, Ted Williams, of course, mm. famously as well. You know, they they joined the military because they they knew that there was uh, an, an enemy that needed to be defeated, yes. and so it, so it was a true citizen military drawn from a, a wide cross section. Of America, yes. and that was the ideal, and and now of course that ideal is, is not completely gone, uh, but it's been it's been overridden to a certain extent by this whole idea of of the warrior uh, that 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 our that our professional military, which is you know it's supposed to be all volunteer, but you know many people go into the military. Well, people go into the military for a wide range yeah. of of reasons. Uh, opportunity and, sure. and and all the rest, money and, yeah. and healthcare. I mean, <laughs> I, ironically, you know, you join the military, you get you get socialized medicine, <laughs> you, you get you get healthcare, uh, which is uh, which is I, I reason some people join. Uh, uh, so, so now we see this concept of a warrior, uh, and and again the the whole idea of a warrior of someone who who just lives and breathes to to fight wars. Is is contrary to the notion yeah. of civilian control of the military and a military that is supposed to fight for national defense, yeah. you know, not not for imperialistic pur- purposes. Yeah. Uh, you know, warriors exist to fight wars, uh, but citizen soldiers exist to defend the republic, and that is a key key difference. That is a very important in point. Um, in third world countries, you know, they're largely ruled by dictators. Uh, the military and the police serve the authority. Everybody knows that. The citizenry know who's in charge. This is nothing new for inner city black citizens here in America. But I feel sort of through the looking glass kind of stuff that Trump and company seek to expand this, this uh, rule by you know, you know who the authority are is, and and just uh, carry that over here. That's a it's a big change. Yeah, you see, I think you see a lot of 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 shocked people, and I, I myself included. You know, uh, hey, I'm a I'm I'm one of those bad guys. I'm a white, you know, I'm a white heterosexual male, uh, middle aged, you know, retired military. Uh, so <laughs> so you know, I hey, I, 
but you know something? Uh, it, it takes these kind of events to, to, to wake up people yes. like myself as well. It's like, you know, hey, if you take to the streets and start protesting, uh, you know, the police do really – they don't really care whether or not you're, you're, you're white or black or old or young. Now, certainly, you know, black people will get – as we know from, from, from all of the video evidence and, and history, oh, you know, yeah. black people will be mistreated more often. Oh, yeah. I, saw, I saw a couple of interesting videos on, on the, the, the show uh, – uh, the the rational national where you have you have a black shop owner calling the police and the police show up and punch him <laughs> you know there, there was a, there was a you know there was an armed ro- a white armed robber uh, in his store you know the police come they assume the black owner of the shop is the one who's the criminal um, there's another case uh, uh, where you have black shop owners who call the police about looting the black people show the the, the, the cops show up. They, they put the black shop owners in cuffs, and there's a white reporter there, and she's trying to explain, no, no, it's not, it's not them. They own this. The looters are over there, but the police are showing up and putting the cuffs on the on the blacks who are the shop owners who called the police about looting. So I, I think white people like myself, uh, you know, through this are finally starting to wake up because we're seeing yes. it, and in some cases we're experiencing it. On the streets, and it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, my, my, uh, I'm not, yeah, I, I don't necessarily love the term white privilege, but there's truth in it, yeah. you know. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I'm not, it's not quite as privileged as I thought. Uh, I, I, I got to tell you, I've learned so much from uh, talking to uh, black people. You know, things that shocked me. It's like, yeah, so it's been like that forever. I mean, this friend, right. friend of mine was. Uh, exceeding the speed limit on a highway racing with another guy he's black the other guy was white when the police came up to his car he put his hands on the door uh, you know open the window put both hands on the door so that right <laughs> well you know, so we yeah, don't think about Go ahead. yeah that's something too you know uh uh you've heard of uh uh you know black parents talk about you know having oh, yeah. the conversation with yes. their kids oh my God, and yes. explaining to them that that's exactly how you need to behave when, when the, if you're safe, for example, you're driving or a policeman comes up to you, you need, need to make sure, you know, your hands are visible. Yes. You know, put, put your hands up, you know, don't make any sudden moves. Don't reach for your cell phone, your smartphone. Oh God, it, it don't, don't do anything that could be mistaken as, as a, you know, as a, as a hostile move, as an aggressive move and so on and so forth. And, and white parents don't have to have that no. same conversation. Well, maybe this is really, really a wake-up moment. Maybe, you know, they, all of us witnessing the incredible injustice of, of the murder of George Floyd, maybe this is a wake-up call we can see. And the fact that people have been out there by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, maybe there's a change starting to go on with this militarization of police, with this, you know, police uniform people feeling like they have to dominate the streets, dominate right. the streets. They're not our streets, they're the authority streets. In the wake of George Floyd's murder, there's a new call to redefine the police, and they've been very successful in Camden, New Jersey. They became a public safety department. I'm not sure where I read the origins of police were simply to protect the property of the wealthy classes. That may or may not be true, I don't know. 
But you write, I haven't seen any bankers being choked to death on the street under an <laughs> officer's knee, nor have I seen any corporate citizens being choked to death by cops, end of quote. Has something happened in recent years? The police are now less community partners, and even just directing traffic, they've become, uh, they've become in more of what you call full battle rattle. They no longer stand with us. What is this battle rattle? Does the, that mindset yield to the need to dominate physically and often violently? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. Um, uh, and, you know, that, I, I was talking to uh, another guy, uh, a friend of mine who's a you know, colonel in the Air Force, recently retired. Uh, and he's the one who shared the, the quote, you know, that I used in my article about, you know, cops standing in, in full battle rattle. Uh, and, and it just made me, I go on to say that, that um, you know, if, if the cops are constantly patrolling you know, the so-called mean streets and battle rattle, you know, should we be that surprised to hear the death rattle of, of, of vulnerable blacks? Uh, and, you know, that's, that's just something that we, you know, we, we need, we really need to focus our police where, where they should be focusing. And I think a lot of police would agree with this. They should be focusing on violent crime. Yes. They should be focusing on felonies, murders, rapes, and so on. Uh, I, most police probably, don't want to be involved in domestic dispute and, oh, and, and mental health crises and all the rest. And that's where we need that reprioritize. You know, we need to yeah. reprioritize how we allocate local, state, and federal budgets. Less spending on, you know, cops and SWAT teams and, and weaponry, and a lot more spending on, on helping people, on true public safety. On, on getting people off the street. You know, a lot of homeless mm-hmm. people, a lot of homeless people are veterans. They're veterans suffering yeah. from, they're suffering from uh, PTSD no and, and other mental health issues. We need, we need to help them. We need to get them off the street. We, we don't, you know, the way to get them off the street is not to, not, you know, not to send police officers against them, hmm. you know, when they're having a health crisis and, and the poor veteran who's homeless ends up being shot you know, because they're having a mental health crisis. That's not public safety. It's it's public madness. It's so much more <clears throat> fun to make war, though, isn't it? Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Now, since the massive, massive street reactions all over the country to the recorded murder seen by so many millions, many in the military leadership, as we mentioned before, have expressed discomfort with Trump's bringing the war home. There's indeed pushback, not not just from civilians, but from people I bet Trump thought were on his side. For example, on June 10th, Senators Rand Paul, a right-wing Republican senator from Kentucky, along with Brian Schatz, Democrat of, of Hawaii, and Chris Van Hollen of Maryland, introduced the bipartisan Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act, which is S-3931, if anybody's interested, which would be a start, I think. It would establish limitations and create greater transparency on the federal transfer of surplus military grade equipment to state and local law enforcement agencies. Now, you know, many in the military and police, no doubt many relish the role of dominators, people who can exercise their physical control without fear of punishment. I doubt real change can come without the buy-in by the military and police personnel. I think they have to want it as well. And I'm getting this. I mean, watching those police in Buffalo walk by 
the guy, the 75-year-old who was knocked down, who was bleeding from his ear, you could tell a lot of them were like, ooh, shouldn't we help this guy? I mean, that's the human nature. You write, America's forever wars in distant lands have now come home big time. Our house is lit up and on fire. Alarms are being sounded over and over again. If we fail to come together to fight the fire until our house is fully involved. Yikes. Now, I may be naive, but I do have some degree of hope. I feel that... I feel sure that many, if not most, police and military share the horror of witnessing the murder, and they understand the outrage. What are your thoughts? Where do we go from here? You know, we've seen so many things. I, I was amazed, you know, I don't remember how many years ago when, the, when those little kids were massacred in uh, Newtown, Connecticut. I thought, well, now we're going to do something. Of course, we didn't. But what do you think now? Is, is something going to change, do you think? Or any, any thoughts? Where do we go from here? Yeah. Uh, well, let me share. Let me answer that by by just sharing a, a personal anecdote. Uh, you know, my as I said in my article, my my niece is is a cop, uh, and I come from a family of firefighters. And, and and my niece put it very bluntly when you know when when she heard about what happened in Minneapolis to George Floyd, you know, she put a message out and and uh, and she said, look, you know, people need to know that cops are are much like them. You know, we have families. You know, we have husbands, we have wives, we have we have loved ones. Uh, and he said, we are not like that monster. And that's the word she used. We are not like that monster uh, in, in, in Minneapolis who, who knelt and choked out uh, George Floyd. Uh, and I think that's important to remember that, that uh, you know, we don't want to, uh, to say that all cops are, are just horrible people. But at the same time, we, we need to recognize that this idea, that this ethos, that the cops are a thin blue line, right. you know, between between civilization and chaos, and and that the cops actually now have their own flag uh, to to symbolize that. We need to get rid of this. Uh, I mean, we need to make a lot of changes. You you mentioned the the, the Rand Paul bill about the trans more transparency uh, for for transfer of military equipment. Well, you know that's that's a band aid, right? Because we don't need more transparency. We need to stop. Yeah. We need to stop sending military grade weaponry to police forces. It's a dumb idea. It's ridiculous. Um, and so that's a step we need to do. Uh, and but more than anything, I think we need to we we need to change the ethos, the mindset of of police officers on on the street. No, you know, no more this. You know, the police need to think of themselves as as public citizens like us who happen to have a badge because we've given them that. We've given them that certain amount of authority, uh, but they serve us. We pay for them. The American taxpayer pays their salaries. They are public servants, just as I was a public servant when I was in the U.S. military. So... And that's something that's captured. Everyone knows the common police model to protect and to serve, yeah. and they need to get back to that. But somehow, over the last 20 years, we've gotten into this mindset of, of, of oh, no, you know, the police are something different. They're better. Mm. They're better. It's a thin blue line. They're the ones who are keeping America safe from, from chaos, and that is the wrong way of thinking. We need to get rid of that mentality. We need to get rid of the idea that, that you know, blue lives matter. 
Of course, police lives matter. But you know something? The Black Lives Matter, they didn't, they didn't come up with Black Lives Matter because they were saying somehow that black lives are better than other people. Right. They were saying, look, black people are being executed in the streets. We're having the equivalent of lynchings today. We have video evidence of it, and we need to put a stop to this. That's what the protests are about. And I'm glad to see these protests, and we need to change the mindset. Uh, police need to remember first and foremost that they're public servants, uh, and I think that'll be the the, the biggest step in the right direction, and we need to get rid of all this militarized nonsense, including all those weapons. Uh, I think those are the right steps uh, to take. Very interesting. Thank you so much for being with us. If people are interested in following uh, your work, is there something on that Internet thing you can point them to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can go to my personal website, Bracing Views, uh, bracingviews.com. And also, I, I've written a lot for uh, TomDispatch.com. In fact, uh, I'm now over 70, argo, uh, 70 articles for, for Tom Engelhart. We've, we've, uh, I really appreciate the there. opportunity. Yeah, he's, he's given me uh, uh, an opportunity to write for a wider audience, and that's probably how you found me. It is indeed great stuff. And I, I sense some degree of optimism in me and in you. A little bit, just a little bit. It may, it, maybe we're at a good point. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Bert. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Telling me that I've got to beware. Like it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down. There's battle lines being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Young people speak in their minds Are getting so much resistance From behind We find we stop Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down What a field day for the heat in the street so much. singing songs and they carrying signs mostly say hooray for our side it's time we stop hey what's that sound everybody look what's going down It will creep. It starts when you're always afraid. Step out of the line, the man come and take you away. You better stop. 